Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Ooh, we are asleep. Everybody stand up. Time's for some calisthenics. Um, no, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are here. My name is Greg Harris. If you're our guest, I'm the senior pastor here at All Branch. We've been talking about this idea of chasing Christmas. And I want to really kind of paint this because I think we can all um, begin to understand what it means to be after these things of Christmas, whether they be uh, the conversation we had the first week on hope or whether it's uh, joy that we're talking about today or maybe peace that Brent talked about or even love that we'll talk about next week. But we're talking about the, this idea that, you know, it comes and it goes. And I'll be honest with you. I'm going to give you a confession. Um, I'm not a thrill seeker. Any thrill seekers in the house? No, it's a few of you. Yeah, you like to throw yourself out of planes and things. It's awesome. Uh, so um, there are a few of us, but there's probably a lot of us that are pleasure seekers. And you know you're a pleasure seeker when you're seeking to stay up really late and watch the first Star Wars film or whatever is going on. You know, the, you're, you're ple- some of us are pleasure seekers because we're after that next enjoying moment, that next thing that could get us going. I think this started early for me as a kid, started with Christmases where you're always excited about that present. I had an uncle named Paul who was um, not really my uncle, but he was a uh, like one of those friends of the family that came as an uncle, and we called him Uncle Paul. Here's what's interesting about Uncle Paul. He had no children. He had no um, no relatives of his own. So he, when he came, we were excited because he would dump the truck out on us, right? So he's been saving up his money. He's ready to bless some kids, get excited about it. And so one year he comes in, and he sets out these presents. They're small. They're about this big. And I'm a boy. I know what a package this big is, and it's uh, it's got to be what I think it is. So while they're getting food ready, my sisters and I are downstairs, and we're kind of pulling off the mat magic tape. And this is 80s magic tape. You know, it wasn't as good back then as that 2000 magic tape. And you're unfolding it and you're looking and there it says Pac-Man on the inside. And it's this yellow box. I'm like, oh, oh what's that one say? Oh, it, it was, uh, I believe it was a uh, jungle hunt or something like that. And we're just so pumped. We're like, these are video games. These are video games. We had no video games in the house at that point. And so we, we kind of all, you know, be very good kids at dinner. And, uh, and we think we've, we've got him. We know what he's going to do. This is all exciting. And we go downstairs finally to open the presents. We tear open and, and there's Pac-Man. Tear it open and there's pole position and, and there's a jungle hunt. We're like, yeah. And he's like, ah, enjoy it. And we're like, no, no, these are just the cartridges. You, you got to have the system. Where's the system? He's like, oh, no, I thought those were standalone like handheld play games. And we're like, oh, this is horrible. And so we're all moping around. He's like, uh, "Go out to my trunk and go get the go get the rest of what you know. Go get the rest of the the food I left out there, or whatever. I've got some desserts." We go out there, and there's another package, and that's the actual Atari 48, you know, Atari system. You're like, "Ooh, Atari! You know, that's that's a game system right there." Um, and it was a blast. Like everybody started donating their games. Donating. I'm a pastor. Hearing me talking, started giving us their games as kids, and um, you know, we suddenly had this box full of games. And we're like, "This is awesome!" The only reason they started giving us all their games is because Nintendo came out like the next week after we got the Atari. And so we were really into Atari while everybody else was playing Super Mario Brothers and until we were just like, okay, this is dumb. We wanted to move on to the next thing. By the time we got Nintendo, Super Nintendo had come out. And so it taught me that you, you can only enjoy something for a little while until the new thing comes out and you need that. And some of you still know what I'm talking about. All of you who are in line to buy the iPhone 10 or X or whatever you want to call it. You, you, you're there for that new gadget, that new thing. You know, hey, a new line of clothing is out. Then you're watching all the magazines. You're figuring out what that new fashion is. You're in on that new thing. Or you're just at the, you're at the store and there's that brand new tool that you need because last year's is worn out already. Whatever is going on, we can be people who seek pleasure, who seek enjoyment in each package, in each present, in each new thing. But here's the funny thing. 
that pleasure wears off. Eventually, that Atari wound up probably in the trash somewhere, um, even though it's worth a lot of money now. Um, that a lot of these pieces that we owned, that we thought were treasures, that were amazing when we opened them on Christmas morning, had become something that was just momentary. And when I think of Christmas and the word joy is shown and it's flashed up in locations, I wonder if that's what we think. We're like, hey, joy is like that momentary, exciting. This is a lot of joy of opening presents and having a party. And then Christmas moves on and we're back to the hard, slugging out, difficult struggle of things. And what is this joy that we were talking about? seems like at least as, as people who know that Jesus Christ has come, that, he, that he's brought something greater than the world can offer, why is it the joy seems so momentary even for us? Shouldn't it be bigger? Shouldn't there be something grander in our joy than just the presence and the moments of, um, of hanging out at Christmas time? What is this Christmas joy really about? And that's what we want to look at today. We don't want to just chase Christmas. I want to help you guys find the joy that is always with you. If you've come to know Jesus Christ, the joy that doesn't ever have to go away. And really, this, be, this, this is a joy that is considered great. And I think Christmas, it's kind of the basic idea, should make us have a great joy. Not just a little joy of a present, a great joy. One that the Christmas story is speaking about, that is like dripping with joy. In fact, if you want, you can join with me to see what kind of joy I'm talking about as it comes out of two characters and then out of a bunch of others in two main Christmas stories, starting in the book of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. So grab your Bibles if you got one, open it up to Luke 1, and we're going to continue forward. Luke is actually a historian. He is probably known and sat down with the, the, Jesus' mom, Mary. He's uh, one of the few men who probably had the opportunity to interview her before she died, and she, he's kind of got the most intimate stories about her. And so we see these stories here and she's speaking and, and it's almost in a sense that we're following Mary in the book of Luke. And Mary has just, as we saw in the first sermon of the series, you can go back on the podcast and look at this, has just received news that the hope of Israel, this thing they've been long and waiting for, has now come. And she was going to give birth to this one, this Christ child, this Messiah. And she takes it by faith and she takes it in rightly. But we know suffering was around the corner. In that culture, you don't get pregnant out of wedlock. She was just betrothed. She wasn't fully married. It was like a, a, a legal engagement. And now there's a major problem going on because the, Joseph's going to divorce her. She's going to go through public shaming. This is not a happy time in Mary's life, though she's taken it by faith. And no wonder that verse, this beginning verse in verse 39 starts, in, the days, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She, she gets up and she leaves as quickly as possible. Now, she knows that Elizabeth is pregnant. The angels told her this. So she's going to her, her distant cousin to go find some comfort, some connection with somebody else who is pregnant with some kind of supernatural situation going on kind of thing. And so she winds up going all the way south, all the way down into Judea in order to connect with somebody who would understand. I believe this journey was miserable for her. Likely filled with tears, filled with fears, filled with all kinds of things. Yes, trusting the Lord, but that doesn't mean she didn't feel the pain. It doesn't mean she didn't feel the struggle. She gets to Elizabeth's house and something suddenly changes. Verse 40, it takes off. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this, and why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of that was spoken to her from the Lord. Imagine this. Suddenly she's sitting there. She's, she's with child and she's probably a fur, way further along than Mary was. And this baby leaps. Now, I've not been pregnant, obviously. Ladies, when, when a child moves, sometimes that's uncomfortable. I know my daughter liked to like punch and kick and bump, pound things um, in, when she was in, in my wife's womb. And um, my wife's like, that hurts. One of my sons, literally, I think he had like sharp elbows and he'd just roll around and she'd just moan from the pain. Can you imagine a little boy inside there leaping? <laughs> she notices this. She knows. And yet at the same time, she has a knowledge and a sudden understanding that this is for joy. This unborn child has been communicated to by God that the presence of the Lord is there and this child who's going to be a prophet responds with joy, leaps in the womb. Now, aside from all the other arguments, this is pretty, pretty incredible that a joy erupts in the presence of this one who has come. This joy erupts so much, I think it takes Mary a second to recover. She's just seen Elizabeth. This occurs and all of her pains and all of her suffering suddenly turn into something else. In verse 46, the Bible becomes a musical. What I mean by that, I know a lot of people hate musicals. Because they're like, well, what planet do people just walk around and suddenly everybody in church is like, we're going to church. We're going to church. And you're all supposed to join with me now. This is a musical. Right? No, that doesn't happen. And yet here, Mary is so moved, she is, starts to do poetry. She starts to break forth in song. There has to be an explosion of joy and energy out of her soul. And so it starts, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Notice her entire thinking process has become positive and exalting. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate, and filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She births forth in a song of praise about God's deliverance and power that this child would bring about. A baby leaps in the presence for joy. She sings out of joy. Christmas comes, and when Jesus comes, there is a great joy that should be exploding in the hearts of people who draw near to this one named Jesus. In fact, the reason I use the term great joy is because this great joy is, is, is ours. It's one the angels use as a terminology. In fact, when we start to look at this, I want to say that this great joy, this, this Christmas joy points to an everlasting joy. Jesus coming is a great joy because it aims at Easter. Christmas has its focus set on a great day called Easter. All the pageantry of, of what's coming in the next week should remind us that it is great because Easter is on 
its way. And when we see this, we understand this, it's because it's announced this way. Look at, look, go on to chapter 2 and verse, begin in verse 8. Now Mary and Joseph, Joseph's decided, no, I'm not going to divorce her, brings her in the home. You see that in Matthew. They, they wind up down in Bethlehem, and we get the whole story of, of the inn and all that stuff, and she wraps him with swaddling clothes. Verse 8 picks up, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. These are the, these are the common men, the, the hardworking guys who do everything with their hands, who work from the ground, who monitor the shepherds. They're, they're kind of like the sailors of the culture. You know, they, they probably got mouths on them. You know, they're, they're not the greatest guys in their consideration. And yet the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Okay, is this the end? Is the judgment here? Are we doomed? What's going on? And the angel said to them, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. There's the term. Good news of great joy, which is for all the people. Why is it great joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a rescuer, a savior. Who is Christ the Messiah, the Lord, the King? This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, shouting forth and singing, saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And right there we get the idea, a Savior who is going to bring about a great peace that has come. When we started this series, I spoke of the fact that hope exists because there's a lack Whenever there is a lack between what you long for, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you were a slave and you long for freedom. You had hoped that one day you'd be free. Maybe you're poor and you, and you long for, to be out of the poverty. There's a hope there. You'll, you're, you're depressed and you long for the day in which you will no longer be that way. And there's a hope. Hope is born from a lack, from a longing. And what Brent came and told us is that what Jesus has done is not only is he just some distant wish fulfillment. No, no. He's the delivery. He's not a gift, a present under the tree where we wish we get something. No, he's the delivery box. He's on his way. You can target and find. Boom, there it is. We have this hope. It's guaranteed. And that hope came as peace. That gap was filled. That gap we feel between us and God. And which while we try to get to know him, we think maybe he's just up there and he doesn't care. And so we just guess about God. Or, or maybe we enter and we try prayer out, but we don't ever sense that he's near. Or maybe, hey, we, we try religion, but it's just a bunch of rules. There's just this gap between us and God. And we kind of have things where we say, eh, nobody can really know God. Maybe it's the gap in our own souls where that guilt or that fear or that shame just amounts and amounts. And there's just this distance between you and feeling valuable, feeling right, feeling at peace. Or maybe it's between us as, one, as human beings and the wars and, and all the horrible things we see and hear about constantly. This, this gap, this distance, this missing the mark of what ought to be seems to hold into our hearts. And yet Jesus came and on that cross we know that this baby was born to die. He was born to come and bear that gap on himself. To suck it up like a sponge on the cross so that all the distance between us and God and all the, thing, the rebellion that was there would be dealt with and we would be made right with God. 
And in that, we'd be, be able to become right with each other and right in ourselves. And all of this rightness comes out. It's called peace. Brent described it as having a great emergency fund that's so full that when the crisis hits, you're not worried about it because you know you can pull from that fund and there's no problem. Jesus filled up the coffers of eternity for you and given you access to it. So no matter what you go through, where you're at, you can have peace. You know what happens when the gap between you and whatever you need and desire is closed? You know what occurs? Joy. Joy is the emotion that erupts when you're at well-being. Joy is the feeling you have when things are right, when things come together. It's that initial experience of, oh my goodness, this, this gap is gone. When that check shows up, And it solves that problem when somebody drops off that gift and you realize it was the thing that you needed to get over that hump. There is a joy that comes exploding through. And guys, we have a joy that should be overwhelming because the gap, the greatest gap, the gap between us and God, the gap in our soul, the gap between us and others has been filled And what should be now remaining is a joy, an exploding effusion of happiness, peace, joy that comes from our hearts. And you know what? Jesus said that this joy is everlasting. He goes in his final conversation with his disciples. He tells them, you have have sorrow now, meaning because he was going to go die, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. You see, this isn't a circumstantial joy that comes and goes because you have something new and cool that will later end up in a dump heap. It's not just a joystick joy where cool, fun, joyous things come in and out. No, this is a joy that is so complete and so full It can never be removed because it's settled in eternity. Where through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because of Easter, that gap is settled, never to be formed again. You can be right with God as a gift and you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. And the reason it's that way is because he needs to be able to give it so that anyone on this planet can have it. This is the beauty that you and I have received. If we've received this, it should produce a wholeness and a rightness that exudes joy. But I get it. You may be here today and you're like, I don't feel that joy. Christmas is a tough season for a lot of people. It's a season that reminds people of their losses, their loved ones that have gone. Maybe it reminds them of the fact that they don't have those loved ones. They've not been married. They don't have children. That, that there's a gap. Oh, it reminds them of the nostalgia of their past and reminds them of the pains that's taken it away. It, sometimes the celebrations in life are not celebrations. They're reminders of pain. And what do you do in those cases when I'm telling you, you should have a joy that never ends. You should have a Christmas joy that's everlasting. And yet here in our face is a pain and a massive amount of hurt or just a reminder of it. What do we do with this? I want to give you a few steps using this, knowing this joy is here that's everlasting. How do we, how do we allow that to impact us? And I want you to start with a simple remind, reminder that you need to remember something about your theology. In fact, I want to give you a correction in your theology, hopefully today, because some of us have come in with the wrong idea about God. You've come in with an idea about God as if he's sitting upon a throne with his arms crossed, staring down at the universe. And when he sees humanity, he goes, dirty humans, sinful, nasty humans. I'm sending you all to hell. 
so tired of this. Or you got the Monty Python version of God where all these people are like, I'm so sorry, God. He's like, just stop confessing already. I'm sick and tired of it. Or maybe you have the God who's up there just going like, oh, there's a planet? Okay. Even Christians, we may have that wrong view of God. That he's up there just angry at the world and, oh, no, let me tell you something. The God of the Bible is a God of joy. Say, what? No, God is not the austere God in the heavens standing there so holy and unmoved by everything. He looks at that and goes, joy, that's beneath me. No, 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 no. God is effused with joy. God is filled with joy. David, when singing a psalm that he has written, he would talk about that there would be this this day in which he would not fall into Sheol. And he was speaking of of the coming of Christ. And he was looking, seeing his resurrection. And in in his explosion at the end of the psalm, he says, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. In God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Have we stopped and thought about this for a minute? Do you realize the joy that you and I feel is an artificial thing? We as scientists can examine joy and tell you what neurotransmitters are flowing through your brain. Norepinephrine, all this. We can tell you the very essence of your joy in a brain chemistry state. We could manipulate your joy by giving you drugs. We can give you all kinds of things like that. But here's the thing. God doesn't have chemical receptors in his brain. God has true joy. He invented our joy. He created us to feel true joy. But he exudes the real joy. He is Flowing with true joy. That when you're in his presence, your joy is full. He is happy and joyous. He stares at the Grand Canyon every single day and sees the beauty and the wonder as he stares at the changing colors as the rushing water go by, as the fish leap and jump and eat. He sees the animals in their presence. We just like it on you know, planet Earth. We're like, whoa, he sees it every day. He's amazed at the depths of the nebulas. He created these things. And it's as if he stands back and just goes, ha, 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 this is my creation. I love it. As anybody who creates something and knows it's good. I don't know if you've ever done that. You ever created a great cake that you've tasted or maybe you've made a story or you've designed something like a song. Everything in you, what do you want to do? Taste this, taste this, taste this. You're running around trying to share it with people. There's a joy that's produced in the beauty of a creation of a good thing. And God is infused with the beauty and the joy of his good creation. Yeah, yeah, but there's sin and he hates it. Yes, he does. But it was for the joy that Jesus went to the cross. Jesus wasn't the mopey, this life stinks. No, he was a happy, joyful person. And he's called us to be joyful. He's brought joy into this world. He came to bring joy. In John 15, 11, he says, I have spoken all of this stuff to you. I've taught you all these things that your joy, that my joy, this joy I've just spoke of, this God's joy that was in Jesus may be in you and that your joy may be full. He doesn't want Christians walking around mopey, depressed, angry. This world stinks. I hate, 
I hate this world. That's not what God's called you. In fact, when you come to have a relationship with Christ, God moves into your life in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he starts to work in you to produce maturity. And we all know maturity is that English stiff of a lip. And we need to stand here and be so mature. Wrong. Gift number two, or fruit number two of maturity from the Spirit is you got love and then you've got what? Joy. If you want to be mature, you better effuse joy. Because God produces in us joy. Not sarcasm, not bitterness, not anger. A Christian who is mature is joyful. A Christian church that is mature is filled with joy. And that joy may look different. Some of you are weepy joy people. You're like, I'm so happy. Awesome. Some of you are like touchdown, excited, joyful people. You're like, yeah, my team won. Some of you guys are like, stomp your foot happy. That's, that's like you. You're, that's like you going out on a limb. <laughs> We're different. But let me just ask you, when you're in that joyful mode, when you're at your happiest, when you're seeing your family members you haven't seen and you love them, when your team has won, when you produce something you're excited about and you have joy in you, how do you respond is how we ought to be in response to the presence of God. Because he dwells in you to bring out joy. That's not my personality. Yeah, that's why God had to move in to change you. Because he's not leaving us alone. He's transforming us to be people of joy. Put a smile on your face. Yeah, the, the world thinks Christians come to church and say, Some mighty fortresses are God. Are you happy? I'm happy. Don't ask me. It's in my heart. You know, you got to let the joy, 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 joy be out here too sometimes. Sometimes it's too down in our hearts. And so if you're in this place of toughness, if you're in this place of difficulty, know God is calling you to joy. He is calling you out of the pain. That doesn't mean you run around going like, hey, you know, you're in a really tough situation. Yeah, but I'm, I'm blessed. Amen. Liar. Feel the pain. Understand the pain is real. Accept that it's there, but do not let it suck you into despair. God has not called Christians to despair. He has called us, though we feel the pain, to look up beyond the pain to see his promises. You see, what are the promises that he's given to us? He says, here are some promises. You need to look up and beyond to these promises. He says, listen, let me give an example, guys. Happy are you when other people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Who call you bigots and make sure that you can't produce cakes in the way you want to. And make sure that you, the entire society is closed. You can only worship in your home. Be happy when the world thinks wrongly about you. Do we feel happy about it? No. We yell and scream on Facebook like everybody else. But Jesus tells us directly, you're supposed to be happy. Blessed. Be happy when you're mourning. Be happy when you're poor in spirit. Be blessed. Well, that's weird. Why? Notice he says, in fact, rejoice. Be glad. And that word rejoice literally means let it out. Energize and put forth your joy. For, they, for great is your reward in heaven. It's not about the current circumstances, Jesus says. It's about the eternal circumstances. 
Yes, right now it stinks. You're in chronic pain. It hurts. You're aching like crazy. You can't even focus for half the message. You feel like I need to get up and pace. And I'm like, get up, go pace in the back. If that's what you need to do to focus, do it. The pain is real. Don't let it suck you down, though. Look up to the great promises beyond because the pain that you feel now will one day be over. The the suffering that we feel now will one day end. The sin that we now struggle with will one day be finalized and over. Because in the book of Revelation, you get the promise. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes. Oh, gone is the weeping and the hurting. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. Oh, I can't wait to not miss people who have gone on. Former, uh, no crying, nor pain. And all of the old people said, Amen, right? The former things have passed away. And, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy, they're true. They're on a delivery schedule and it's not going to be delayed. You will have this landed. Don't have a wish. It's a truth. It's a hope that's guaranteed. And so in the middle of that suffering, it reminds you this too shall end for Jesus has risen. He has come. He has saved us from this sin. This will be over. Lord, come quickly. And from there, you can look up to the promises and begin to allow hope to come because the God of joy has come. You can have joy even in the suffering. But it goes on from there. Not looking at the current circumstances, but looking at the heavenly circumstances, you can still lack joy. And it's primarily because we aren't connecting with God. You need to connect with God to fill your joy. I like how John Piper put this in discussion of this conversation. He says, listen, a prayerless life is often a joyless one. And I think he's right. A prayerless life is a joyless life. Why? Why? Why is that? Why is that true? Because prayer is not simply talking to God. Hear me. It's much, much greater. Notice how this works. In John chapter 16, same chapter where he's talking about his joy because he's giving his joy away before he leaves, dies, and resurrects. He says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now he's not turning God into a cosmic Santa Claus. That's not his goal. What he is saying is I want you to have a life dependent within me. And when you come before the Father, our lives are going to be so aligned. He's going to answer your prayers. And so you need to have a connection with God, a deep connection Prayer is not simply talking to God. If I said my relationship with my wife was simply talking with my wife, I would probably be in trouble because it's way more than just talking. It is connecting. It is getting intimate. We're talking about what's going on in our hearts and what's happening in our lives, what we're hurting over, what we're excited about. It it is what we want, what we desire, and how our lives are aligning. It it is a connection that goes beyond the words to each other. And when you're talking to God, it's not a prayer list, our Father in heaven, and just rolling through it. No, it's not here, I need these things. It needs to be where you lay your anxieties before God, where you open up your soul and your desires and your struggles and your pains. It is a putting forth of yourself before the one who has given himself to you. And guess what? When you get into the presence then of God, you're in the presence of God where there is what? Fullness of joy. If your prayer life is small and you're not getting into the presence of the God who is full of joy, where are you receiving your joy from then? 
probably from the joysticks of the world, instead of the God who is full of joy. A prayerless life creates a joyless life. And I want to call us as a people who oftentimes don't frequent the front for prayer, who on Monday nights don't come in droves to be before their God, who, let's be honest, struggle to find time alone in our homes or in our cars to even talk to God, let alone take the time to connect. We don't effuse joy because we don't have the God of joy flowing through us. And I want to encourage you, Olive Branch, get into the presence of your God who is joy and get into the presence of your God who has written joyful words for us to sing and to praise him that we can meet each other and connect with each other allow his presence in that prayer to do that and so right now let's just stop for a minute and let's pray and I'm honest right now I want you to bow your heads right where you're at And you know what? You may be one of those people who is wrestling through chronic pain. You may be having a miserable season. I want you to do a dangerous and very careful thing right now. And I want you to put your hand up and just say, that's me. I'm having a hard time this year in Christmas. You miss somebody. You're angry. There's something going on. And God, I just want to ask that you would come meet us here right now with these people who have lifted their hands. For those of us who are having a great season, God, all together, this season is only joyful by being with you. Would you infuse your joy with us, we pray? You know, right now, God, I hope that you would just hear from them who have lifted their hands as they lay out their pains, as they lay out their struggles. Meet them where they're at. God, right now, for us who are in the busy and the, and, the, and the running around and we haven't stopped to take the sacred time with you, give us that chance today. Meet us where we're at. We ask that you'd be with us. We ask for your joy. In the name of Christ, meet us throughout this day. Amen. You see the thing that we need to do, guys? So we need to foster this joy in the community. The shepherds did this. You can read on on your own, but what they did is they ran, they saw Mary, and they saw the baby, and they were so excited. They ran away. And at the end of chapter 2, when they saw this shepherd's return, verse 20 says, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard. It came out. It was overflowing. They were so excited. They were singing songs. You see, the word rejoice, the word joy, is, is a term in the Greek that references an Old Testament word. Funny, it's not in the ancient Greek because it was a, it's a Jewish concept. And it was a term used for the experience of love and excitement and being with people at a festival. You ever been to a festival, a feast? Of course you have. You're going to go through some. Man, when you go to a Christmas party and you haven't seen those family members you like in a long, long time, note that, Man, you, you can't wait. You want to hug them. You want to be with them. You're asking, how has it been? What's going on? I miss you. You almost feel like, man, I need to call you more. I need to put your name. I got to get your phone number again. I've totally lost contact with you. It re-energizes this joy to be together. There is a joy that happens as people are eating and drinking and laughing and joking and doing all of that together. That is supposed to be the picture of the church. We're supposed to be effused with that joy. Paul, at the end of his entire treatise on joy in the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippian church, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I will say rejoice. This is not an individual. You rejoice. It's all of you guys. Rejoice together in the Lord. Always. Again, I say rejoice. Have a joy together. Have an experience of joy together. And you know what? I fear that we're not allowing our joy out enough. Because we have a culture that's hunting for joy. So they frequent the bars and the raving parties and the dancing and all that stuff. And you know what? Guess what? I don't know where the rule is no dancing came from in the church, but joy begets dancing. If John the Baptist, who we think is like the biggest prude in the Bible, didn't eat anything, wore crazy No, he jumped, he leaped, he did a dance in the womb. He was excited to be in the presence of God. Mary couldn't help it. She had to sing and shout it out. The angels are willing to show up and shout. The shepherds are willing to dance and rejoice. And the church... It's just going to be over. I need to get out of here. This guy's going, he's, he's a minute over. Oh my gosh. There's, no, there's, a, there's whole kids to pick up. There's a whole other sir. What is he doing? Guys, where's our joy? The God of joy dwells within the church. This ought to be a magnet for people who are needing joy, who are needing a place where they're known. This should be like where everybody knows their name, kind of level joy. You walk in, people shake hands. How's your week gone? Man, it's been awesome to see what God is doing. Let's praise God. Let's stop, sit down, have a cup of coffee. Where are you going so fast? Hold on. Well, we got to clear out the parking lot. So what? Let's have such a joy. It rolls into the next service and then out into the streets and out into the homes and out into the, well, we're all going to be at the shopping you know, centers over the next few days. So why not there? Instead of fighting over that last toy. My kids need to be happy. No, there's a happiness that's with us already. What an opportunity to laugh, to rejoice, to enjoy the God who dances over us. And I want to just invite you to the concept that God of joy desires us to be effused with the same joy. Yes, even in our troubles, feel the trouble, but let the joy still come in the morning. Because it's his joy that is our strength, and this world needs a place filled with joy. Yes, there are hard things going on in the world. Yes, there are difficult things to struggle with. But our God is in control. It's not going to come on Air Force One. Peace isn't going to show up in the next vote. Jesus has already come. Christmas has already happened. Let your joy be full in the presence of he who has given it to you. You see what's beautiful about that joy? Is it's not limited to us. What did the angels say? They said, verse 10, Fear not, and for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For every American, African, European, Asian, Australian, Antarctican, whatever. It's for all the people. It's for the Christian, it's for the Buddhist, it's for the Muslim. Because Jesus has come to set the gap and close it for us. No matter where we're at, all of us need Jesus to close that gap. All of us need Jesus in order to be right with God. It is the only way and the only gift that God has given to men to have that gap closed so we can have joy. And that gap is, for, is in everyone, but it's given to everyone. That if we would simply follow and receive that gift, that joy, everlasting is present.
and available. I want to encourage you today to not eliminate yourself from thinking that Jesus' joy can't be for you. God offers it to you. God the Father offers you his son Jesus as a gift. Unearned, undeserved, you will never earn it and you can't. And that's why it must be given as a gift. Or it can never be had. Or there are some elites who are going to make it because they're good enough. But no, God's not into that. He brought down the proud. He lifts up the humble because he gives a gift that equalizes us all. The gift of his son, Jesus, who on the cross bore our sin, bore that gap. The word sin is simply the word to miss the mark in archery. There was what ought to be and there is what is. And that gap that exists is called sin. And Jesus is the only one who brings it right on. He never missed the mark. So he offers himself to you that if you would receive that, you would stand before God and you would be in right relationship with him because you have what Jesus has given you, everything that you need to be right with God. And today is the day that you can receive that and make it right. It it is for you. He rose from the dead to give you that evidence and give you that strength to know that it is for you and will never go away. But it's up to you to receive it. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to give you an opportunity today. Maybe you should receive this. Maybe God is speaking to you right now saying, this is for you. This peace is for you. So I can give you the joy. I've come that you may have this. And today he's calling you. He's calling you to deal with that sin, that wickedness. You know that piece of guilt and shame that's inside of you. That fear that God won't accept you. It's not true. He loves you and he's done this for you right now. as an opportunity for you to receive that. So right where you are, I want you to take an opportunity just to pray and ask God to to bear your sins for you. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned. I ask that you'd put it upon Jesus. And I ask that you would forgive me. I trust the gift that you've given is enough. Thank you that you've forgiven me. Thank you that we are at peace. Would you please now come into my life and bring joy and all that you have as you lead me? Let me ask this in Jesus' name. Now, before anybody looks around today, if God's been calling you to that and you've received that, maybe you've come back. I want to give you the chance right now. I want to give you the opportunity to just let me know. I want to pray over you. So if that's you and and you made that decision, would you just put your hand up? This is you saying, yes, that's me today. I've needed that. Lord, I just lift up those who have responded to this today. In their hearts and their minds, they've said these things and called out for your joy. I pray that you would bless them with the presence of your son by your spirit. And God, that they would just begin to grow in that joy. Empower them, I pray, and enable them to see that you are near. The word of God would, just the Bible would come to life for them. And that you will have moved in. They will know you are near. And I pray that you'd bring about that joy. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.